Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right. Good morning, church. So thankful you're here. I want to start with a, uh, another quick interview, if y'all don't mind. We're, we're hint- entering a little session where we're going to talk for two weeks about making disciples together and what it looks like to have a culture of discipleship at our church. This is, in fact, the Great Commission. It's, it's the scripture of today. Our, our theme scripture today is the Great Commission. Surprisingly enough, I've preached, I've used this text many times, uh, but it's been a minute since I've used it as my home text. So that's where we're going to be today. And m- perhaps some of you noticed as you came in that I've got a, a thing on the wall over here. Uh, there's, it's basically a map. It's a road map of Who's discipled who? And so if you're currently in discipleship or have, have finished Life on Life discipleship with us, at the end of service, go up there and put your name under your discipler. If your discipler is not there yet, we, we need to fix that. So all of you, I, I expect, will go bombard the wall and find your way through there. And uh, the, hope, the hope together today is that we will be making disciples. And so I want to bring up, um, I've discipled several men here at the church, and I can't wait uh, to be a part of, of more. But I wanted to bring up the last guy I just finished. We just finished this past week. So John Donater, if you'll come on up. I could have brought up a whole lot of different guys. And so don't feel bad if I didn't call you. It's because it's because I love you too much to put you through this kind of horror. Um, I'm going to give you the mic. So this is John Donater. If you will, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Okay, um... 41 years of age. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, uh, I work as a police officer here in Rocky Mount. Um, I got a beautiful family of three. Two of my little boys are here. My wife, Cassie, who's up here singing as well. And we've been a part of the church since the beginning. Nice. Yeah, they really have. Uh, we, we launched, I think you only missed like maybe one launch yep. Sunday. And so uh, thank you, Peggy. I saw you earlier. You're part of the reason he's here. <laughs> so thank you so much for bringing them. Um, my, I guess the main question of today is, what, what did you get out of our, me and you being together, 21 weeks, going through this material? How did you grow? How did, you, how did your spiritual maturity change? Give me anything on, on that. Yeah, so I didn't have a great understanding of the Bible and the, and the literature. So having that one-on-one time, with, especially with somebody as, you know, as a pastor, was great to have that intellectual conversation to break down um, the understanding of the Bible, what the what it meant to be disciple, what it means to disciple others. Um, my maturity um, it grew. I mean, just having that bond uh, with um, and that conversation, it was able to make me understand more about what God's calling was for us. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So, last question: Why do the people? Why does the congregation? Why should they be interested, be seeking an opportunity to be discipled and disciple others? Well, somebody that's, you know, naturally introverted like yourself, um, you know, having that one-on-one is not bad. It'd be in a group setting. So having that bond with somebody, uh, especially somebody that's a spiritual brother or sister of you, is beyond any kind of friendship. I mean, to learn from one another uh, not saying the person that's being discipled doesn't know what they're doing, but have that relationship, somebody to call on when you have a question about something or need prayer. Um, that time in those 21 weeks, is that correct? Yeah. Um, is, I mean, it's 
not only it's fun, it's, it's, it's not having building new friendships, but having another brother or sister in Christ that you can lean on in uh, our times. Yeah, good stuff. Y'all give him a hand. Thanks, John. Yeah, one of the, one of the best parts about it really is the, the, the lifelong relationship that you hopefully have built where you can call one another, hey, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I need help. Um, it goes, it's more than material. It was never meant to be material. It was meant to be organic, that you would build a relationship that could bear a long, long life uh, of, of mentorship together. And, you know, the, you've heard this before, and you may not believe it, but it is true. The teacher always learns more. So getting the opportunity to disciple you and others, I'm learning a ton about you, but also about how to better bear witness and how to better teach, and it's wonderful. And so I'm thankful this morning we're going to be in the Great Commission uh, talking about something that unfortunately uh, the church is, is, is sometimes good, sometimes bad. It's like a roller coaster ride that sometimes we really adopt these principles and we really get after them, and other times I don't know if it's that we just kind of get internally focused or that we just get out of our wheelhouse, but uh, I think even in our church we've had, we've experienced seasons where we're really intentional in our discipleship and then other seasons where I don't know if we just kind of get tired or what happens. But I want to kind of spin the wheel again today and make sure there's plenty of energy in the most important thing we have to do as a church. This is, it's called the Great Commission for a reason. It's been, just so you know, it's been called the Great Commission for several hundred years. Uh, it's, it's a term that many Christians know and it's the thing that Jesus told us to do that really is the priority statement. Uh, uh, first, of course, salvation, but then the command he's given to us as Christians is do this. And what is this? It's go make disciples. And we're going to get into the details of that now. So what's the solution? How do we overcome sin? How do we overcome relational separation from God? The separation and brokenness we all often feel in relationships with others. It all has to do with the Great Commission. I want to offer you a book um, for those readers in the room. It's called The Great Omission by Dallas Willard. It's a fantastic book. He's here talking about the idea that this is the one principle we sometimes leave out is the great commission. He calls it the great omission. I love what he writes in there, this quote, Most people have never been offered a meaningful opportunity to become a disciple. I think that's true. Maybe that's true for you even today. You're thinking, this isn't something I grew up with. This isn't something I got in my own household. And I haven't really gotten it in my walk with Christ so far. Or maybe you're not a believer today. You certainly not had this opportunity. What's amazing about this word disciple, discipleship, is it appears 269 times in the New Testament. Do you know how many times Christian appears? Three that means one of these is not like the other. That means God intended for Christians to be disciples. Discipleship is his primary goal. And so this is, this is intriguing, but I want to encourage you with this. If someone in your family or somebody that you're currently trying to reach with the gospel, understand your process is not conversion, it's discipleship. That your process is helping them not only come to Christ, but be a Christ follower. Be a disciple. That is your process. Not merely to get the news out, but to go further. That's what Christ 
is commanding us. He says also in his book, I wanted to share this with you, that a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of heaven to every aspect of their life on earth. That's what it looks like to be a disciple, that it impacts everything you do, everything you say. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ today? A lifelong learner? An apprentice of his? Have you made Jesus your sole authority, the focus of your life? Some of you may have never even surrendered your life to Jesus. That's step one. But beyond that, you, you do this daily. This is, I think, perhaps what Paul is speaking of when he says, I beat my body daily and make it my slave. He's not talking physically. He's talking, I have to, every morning I get up, I have to tell myself, Christ, I'm yours. I am your servant. I am not my own. That's what it means to be a disciple. Others have believed. Some of you have not been discipled, have not been really taken through Scripture at any point. We want to move past that. Pulling our affections off our idols and focusing them on Jesus. You can do something about this today. So I want to kind of give us encouragement, give us a great charge today. We're in the the Gospel of Matthew, seeing here the resurrected Jesus now. This is Christ having resurrected, returned to his disciples. And he commands them, as well as, as us today, with the Great Commission. This commission was given to all disciples to make disciples of of the nations. And so the text will give us three really, really clear steps today on making disciples. So let's read these few verses. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Christ says, or the Bible says this, eight, verse 18, And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. One of the wonderful, one more wonderful passages in all of scripture. I love, I love everything about what Christ has left us with here before his ascension. How to make disciples of Jesus together. Here's the first step, and you have to have this one before you can do the rest. We can recognize Christ's great authority. Christ's great authority. I I don't think it's intended for us to miss the way Jesus starts his phrase. All authority on heaven and heaven and on earth has been given to me. I don't think there are any other sectors we can consider. All of creation, all of heaven, he has all the authority. There's nothing else. In a a big way, he is saying, guess who has all authority, period? Me, Jesus Christ. All authority. Now, I want to backtrack just a second just to give you a little bit of the context. This this section of Scripture really starts at verse 16. It tells us that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain that, that he had directed them. Verse 17 then also tells us that some doubted. Now, I want to give you... Some stuff that I kind of learned this week, honestly. I'm so thankful I learn new things all the time. This idea of being a lifelong learner is absolutely true. Christ is constantly showing me new things. I could read this passage tomorrow and get something new. And I love that about his word. But this week I did 
more research thinking about this idea of why is it, verse 17 tells us that the disciples doubted as they were coming to the mountain. Because what I know from Scripture is that there have already been two appearances of the resurrected Jesus. It happens in the upper room, but this, this, they first... Jesus first appears, they, they've, it says, right, and this appears to be, to me, Resurrection Sunday. They're in, the, they're in the room, they've locked all the doors. The Bible tells us they're afraid of, of the people around because their master has just been crucified. They're terrified. And as they've got all the doors locked, Thomas isn't with them. Eleven of them, or ten of them are in there. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up in the room. He pulls one of those initial stunts where he scares everybody to death. Just appears in the, in the locked room. And they're like, oh, woe is me. So they've already seen him. They already know Jesus has resurrected. Guess what he does? He comes back because Thomas talks to him later and is like, hey, I'm not going to believe this until I see it. Y'all, can, y'all are crazy. Y'all have lost it. I know you wanted to see him real bad. Didn't happen. So Jesus shows up again in Jerusalem with Thomas and says, you need to see it. You need to touch it. Go ahead and put your finger right here where they stabbed me with the spear. And Thomas is like, I don't need to do it. I'm good. I believe. I'm terrified. So that has already happened. So here's an interesting thought. Because it says the the angel comes and appears to the women who first engaged the empty tomb. The angel says, hey, go and tell the disciples to come to the mountain in Galilee. There I'll be. That's there in scripture. Who do they tell? Just the eleven? No, I think not. In fact, the majority belief on this is that the 500 that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians are here at the mountain, Mount, most likely Mount Tabor in Galilee. This is why the resurrected Jesus says, hey, go to Galilee, to the place that I've directed you, this high mountain, where I've, this is the same mountain they think was the Mount of Transfiguration, so they're, they're aware of this place. Who's there? More than the 11, probably. Very likely the 500 are there. And so when Paul says in 1 Corinthians, hey, these people are still living, over 500 people have seen the resurrected Jesus, it's very likely it's right here that they saw him. That Jesus gave the Great Commission to a ton of people. I really love that. Now, I don't know that for certain, but it seems extremely likely that right here he's telling the over 500 of his disciples, all authority is mine. Go and make disciples of all nations. And guess what happened? They turned the world upside down. You and I are seated in these seats because of those people at that mountain said, yes. We wouldn't be here today. Do you you consider how amazing that is? That 2,000 years later, we are still worshiping the one true God? Because just a few people said yes. In the scheme of things, that's not enough. And yet they did it. Why? Because they really believed what you and I should believe and can believe, and that is that all authority is His. There is nothing to fear. In fact, we would, be, we would be totally amiss to not follow the one who has all power. He says all. The word here cannot be missed. Several times, it's like Christ wanted us to know with these superlatives just how powerful he is. He says four times in this text, he says, I have all power. I want you to do, go to all nations. I can do all things, and I will always be with you. He just gives us these superlatives to let us know, I can do this. You follow me. We're going to change the world. That's the news. Authority, he says. This is the Greek word exousia, which there's several different Greek words for power. But this one, exousia, is only mostly ever used to describe the idea, not just of physical power, not just of the ability to do something, but more the right to do it. 
That's why the word is, that's why Jesus put this word, that's why the translators chose exousia. He is saying, I not only have the power to do it, I have the right to do it. That's what he's arguing. And he's right. I love what Charles Spurgeon writes in one of his sermons on the text. He says, What mind shall conceive, what tongue shall set in order before you the meaning of all power? We cannot grasp it. It is high. We cannot attain unto it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. The power of self-existence, the power of creation, the power of sustaining that which is made, the power of fashioning and destroying, the power of opening and shutting, overthrowing or establishing, of killing and making alive, the power to pardon and to condemn, the power to give or withhold, to decree or to fulfill, And all of this in a word? Head over all things to his church. All this is vested in Jesus Christ, our Lord. How amazing is our God? How amazing is this Christ? (laughs) Resurrection. This resurrected Jesus is telling us, I've got the authority. I not only have the physical power to do it, I have the right to command it. I have been given the right. This is fantastic news. This incredible greatness of God's power and authority. Look what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 1. He says this. And I would say this to you today, church. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Oh, that we would understand this. Get, if you can get anything today, know this, Christ has all power. And that is such good news considering that he has all love for you. This same God died for you. This same God with all authority cares that much about you. That should, that should be great comfort you, to you today. I don't know what you're going through, anxiety, brokenness, sin, uh, struggles at work. It, you, put, you fill in your blank today. My marriage is failing. My finances are shot. Just understand this. There's nothing that could compare to the all-powerful one who has all authority, who loves you with that same kind of power. And that that same Jesus... That same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us, believer. Why do you doubt? Why do you fear? Why do you struggle? It's because you forget that. If you're thinking about that, you don't. I fear too, my friends. I'm not saying that you're broken on all alone. No, we're in this together. We struggle in all the same ways. But I know this. When I consider the fact that the one who raised Christ from the dead lives in me, My fears just start to... I hope that's a good word to you today. I hope so. 
And if you can get this piece, then the rest comes so naturally. Christ is able to empower us with this spirit. It says in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. These things are connected, intricately connected. The word and there, that conjunction is to tell us, guess what happens when the Holy Spirit has come upon you? You witness. You can't help it. They come together. When you experience some great healing in your life, some great moment in your life where God did it, you know you can't help but tell people. You can't help it because you bear witness to that. And I'm prayerful for you that that is what is becoming so obvious in your life. I love it when I get those. I get all kinds of different texts and calls throughout the week, people praying, people hurting. But sometimes I get those where somebody's like, look what God did. And you can't help yourself. You have to text me. If you know me well enough, you're like, you got to know. I'm like, I'm glad. I don't know if I was first on your list, but if I am, I feel pretty good about that. I don't know if I'm up, up top. You can't help but bear witness when God does it. This is the Jesus we serve, and he's always been this way. I want to read a, a quick passage for you out of Mark chapter 4. This one's a bit of a famous story, but I wanted to share it. Again with you, I I never get tired of the the scriptures and reading them again and again never seems to hurt me. It only helps me. Jesus exercised exercised authority even uh, even before resurrection. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, Let us... Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they, they took him and with them in the boat, just as he was. And, and the other boats were there with him. And all of a sudden, verse 37 says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. But he was up in the stern, asleep. <laughs> I could preach just this passage today, too. It would be fun, but... Asleep up there on the cushion, and, and they woke him, and they were like, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's you and I all the time. Our boats are filling up with water, and we're like, Why is Christ asleep? What are you doing up there, God? God, don't you know we're perishing? And he woke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Guess what they responded with? I love this. They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, something I want to remind you of today, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea, they obey him? This is our Jesus. This is our God. And what he's trying to teach his disciples is the same lesson I want you to know today. When you're fully aware of the authority of God in your life and you fully trust him, that fear begins to leave. That doubt begins to run off. When we recognize and we're willing to come under the authority of Christ, we have Christ's authority to do then what he commands. If you're experiencing fatigue, frustration, failure in doing what Christ has commanded you, it may be because you're laboring outside of Christ's authority. You're you're laboring with the thing he told you to do, but without the power he's given. And people in ministry do that all the time, but you can do that too. He's, he's called you to go and make disciples. And you think, well, i got to do that by my own strength. I'm, a, I'm decent with my words. And some of you are like, well, I'm not even good at that. I'm, I'm scared to have these conversations. You're thinking, I've got to own this. I've got to do this in my own strength. No, and you won't be any good at it. Nobody would be. The Apostle Paul wouldn't be. And yet by the power of Christ and his authority... You don't have to be frustrated anymore. You can go into these conversations. You can go into these moments and say, Christ, I have no idea what you want to do in this moment. 
but I trust you in it. I'm, I'm just, I'm a yes. I'm, I'm a yes. Send me. Here I am. We just sang that. Here I am. Send me. Are you laboring outside of his authority? Trying to do it in your own power? No, no. Christ is in charge. He has all the authority. Come in line with him. And that leads us to our second step, which sounds scary at first until you understand that it is Christ in you who's doing it. And that you're yielding to his power. We can obey Christ's great command. We can recognize his great authority. We can then obey his great command. And this is the one. This is the thing. This should be one of your memory verses. But there are two, just so you know, there are two imperatives in this text. Now, I've preached this before and I preached the ING words. There are three of them, technically. It's going, baptizing, teaching. Those are the three participles here in the text. But technically, those three fall under the main imperative, which is make disciples. Make disciples. That's what Jesus says. Above all things, make disciples. And then he gives us a final imperative, which is a strange one. He says, behold. Look. Some translators do rightly when they say, remember. Remember what? I am with you. I'm with you. You can do the making disciples remembering. We're doing this together. I'm not leaving you out here alone on this. You need my power. You need my authority. So we can obey Christ's great command to do what? Make disciples. The word here is matheteo. It's mathetes is where we get this idea of disciples. It, it literally means to make a student, to make a pupil. This used to be a more common thing that we did in our culture. Even You don't have to go back very far to, to come up with this idea of the apprentice. And there are some fields in, in work that you still do this apprenticing kind of thing. Even in the medical fields, they call it like residency. That's that appre- apprentice type thing. For some reason, though, along the way, we stopped doing it as a church generally. I, I don't know if we got too smart because we got Google. I don't know what happened. But we stopped doing this one-on-one. All right, I see where you are in life. I was there. I want to help you move one more step. I can help you get from one to two. Maybe I can help you to get to five. But I see where you are, and I want to guide you a step further. This, parents, this is a freebie. This is your first role. This is your first role. You're you're going to love me for saying this, but guess what? Doesn't matter in the scheme of things if your if your kid is extremely smart. Oh no, his education is very important. It is important, but it will not save him. It just won't. It won't. It's important. I'm not telling you make a lazy student. That's far from it. In fact, Colossians says, "Do all things mightily, heartily, as unto the Lord." The reason you work hard is for Him, not for your own personal gain. So yeah, make your instruct your kids to be diligent and hardworking. It's not going to be of, of any great good if they end up, man, my kid, you don't understand. He is going to be the next great musician. Like he's, my kid at three years old can play, you know, Rush on drums. You know, woohoo! Great. I mean, that would be amazing to watch. But for all the money your kid may make, it will not save him. Oh, but that's my retirement plan. We'll get a better plan. I mean... I can't wait at the end of my life to not have to do anything because my kid's doing it all. Why? That's a strange plan. Yeah. I, I, the, the idea of retirement is not highly biblical in the scheme of things. Like I, I can understand, okay, I'm no longer going to do this job. But you're never retired from the Great Commission. You don't retire from that. You're a disciple until heaven, and then you're still a disciple. I don't know what it's going to look like up there, but i got a feeling we still got stuff to learn. 
Eternity sounds like a long time for him to go, hey, you guys didn't even know about this piece. Look what I did. Look what I can do. It's not going to matter how great. And I'm not saying, hey, push your kids to to be the best they can be at the areas that God has greatly gifted them. But help them to connect that dot to say, it is God who gives. It is God who made me smart. It is God who gave me the strength to do this thing. And the reason I do it is for his glory, not mine. Can we do this great command? It starts in the home. And I got news for you parents in the room. We will, go, we will work really hard here to try to disciple your kids, but we cannot undo what you do at home. We can't. We can try. But you know what we can do? If you're already putting the seeds in the ground at home, we can water them here. And that's a fun time. But we have a hard time planting the seeds that when you're planting some other ones. Well, mom and dad, you know, they say they're Christians, but you ought to see them at home. Whew. The kind of stuff you don't want me to know about. But it doesn't matter because he knows. And your kids are seeing it. And they're going to model themselves after that. They're going to do one of two things. They're either going to say, you know what, mom and dad, I kind of like what they did. I'm going to be that. Or they're going to say, mom and dad are messed up. I want to be the opposite of that. And maybe that could work out if you've got a disaster at home. You know what? Solve this instead, though. By the power of God who has all authority, all power, you can begin to be different right at home. You should start there. If you've not got that piece right, you're going to have a real hard time in the workplace. You can't even get the home part right. Go home today and say, by the power of Christ, his authority in me, I can make disciples in my own home. I can do that because Christ can do it in me. I know I've got a lot of stuff to undo. My kids have seen me be unrighteously angry. Many times they have seen me curse. They have seen me drunk. They have seen me do horrible things. My children have seen this. And some of you have that story. Christ can undo all of that. If he can forgive you and I for such great sin, he can work through you in that. Start at home doing what? Making disciples. And he goes on in verse 19 to say all nations. This is really a careful word. Because Jesus never intended for his disciples to, to, to stay in Jerusalem. They were really happy to do that, just so you know. And you should understand that piece. It's so much more convenient to just work with the people that culturally you understand. The, the people that look like you and talk like you and have the same kind of uh, background as you. It's so much easier to, to just keep working there. And you know, God in his, in his majesty and his might decided, you know what, I'm going to send a curveball into the Jerusalem. I'm going to create this awful persecution and drama so that my people would do the thing I told them to do is all nations they were really happy hey we like what we got going on in Jerusalem we like that too we like that hey we can come into Eastgate Church we can come into buildings like this and we all kind of think the same he sent us to all nations all nations the idea of, of any, any piece of that having a, a racism or anything like that. The fact that Christianity has ever been called racist is insanity to me. He says, to all nations, I'm allowing Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, bring it on in. I don't care your color. God made all of this. Why would he care? He, he decided to make me a bit. I'm a little tanner today, but I have a little less melanin. He decided that, not me. He loves all that. He loves the creativity of it all. And he says, to all nations make disciples. And here's what that looks like. 
Going, baptizing, teaching. Going is such a wonderful word here. It's a participle. It has the idea of as you go, but also with an intentionality. So here's the good news, friends. There should be a piece of you that's, that's considering, does God want me to go somewhere I'm not currently going? I think that is implied here in the text. I, I, because the disciples do that, so it, it must have been. And there's other places I can take you in Scripture to speak to that. But this word has a lot to do with the idea that no matter where you are, you're a disciple maker. That you're already going, the idea of going here is that as you go, I know for a fact you guys are going to eat lunch today. Now some of you have got it prepared at home. Well, you're going to have to do some disciple making at home. But some of you are going to San Jose after this. Some of you are going to get some Mexican. You're going somewhere to eat lunch as you go. What would that look like? Well, that's why when I do discipleship or when I have these meetings with people, I love to do them publicly. I love to do them in restaurants so that maybe someone would overhear us talking. I like to talk a little bit loud. Just, did he say Jesus? That man just said Jesus over there. You just go into a restaurant and say Jesus strangely loud. People would be like, somebody talking about Jesus in here? That word, that, that name, I, I don't care what you say. It's got power. People start going, huh? I don't know, today over lunch, have a conversation with your kids. Have a conversation with your spouse about what you've heard, about what they learned back there, and just let the Spirit move. As you go, tomorrow you got to go to work. Some of you, some of you are retired Tomorrow you got to go somewhere. Maybe you got to go grocery shopping. This idea of as you go, guess what you are? You're a disciple maker. You go on vacation. Oh, guess what doesn't happen? Your disciple making does not take a vacation with you. And God loves me so much, he doesn't even allow me to even try to do that. I have pastor written on my forehead, I think. Do you all see it? Because I can't see it, but people see it. Like That guy, he, I need to talk to that guy. Perfect strangers. It happens to me all the time. I'm hoping that's Christ in me. Go, as you go. Doing what? Baptizing. Obviously, the, the intent here is the physical baptism, the, 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 the illustration of death, burial, and resurrection. But I think this has to do with the idea that you're helping someone have a new identity, a new name in Christ Jesus, and then teaching them. Teaching them what? He says, all that I have commanded. That means absolutely you are not done at the point of conversion, my friend. You've led a friend to Christ. You've led someone at work to Christ. You've led your child to Christ. You are not done at, okay, I believe in Jesus. You're not done there. Teach them all that I have commanded you. That's quite a bit. You've got a relationship to build here. Now, whether Christ intends that he as the word of God intends all that I commanded you, but at a bare minimum, you're teaching them the gospels. At a bare minimum. Look who this Jesus is that you've said yes to. Look what this means to follow him. We used to call this catechizing. Y'all love that word, huh? Catechism. That used to be something that we did and we need to retake. The idea of teaching our children, teaching our neighbors, that discipleship is our motivation far beyond conversion. All that I commanded. Who is to go? All. He tells all of his disciples, go and as you go, make disciples. He says in Mark 16, the other place where the Great Commission is, Mark 16, 15, Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. John chapter 20, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. Believer today, you're sent. You're a disciple maker. 
That is your primary purpose. What is his strategy? He gives us that too. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's home. That's what's already where you already are in Judea. That means your sphere is starting to grow. Samaria. These are the people that are near you but not like you. And the ends of the earth. Now you'll notice, hopefully, as you've come into the door today, something really wonderful our brother John built us. Um, but you can pop this image up. We have this at both campuses. Um, this is what it looks like in Wilson. Both of our campuses, I, I think, John, yours is a little nicer, I'm just saying. But uh, both campuses, we have this statement up and um, the world there as kind of the front thing that you would see. This is what we want to be about with... We hope, and it's not that important to me that you remember these things, but, but that you live them out. But as a church, we really hope you would model these two things. Come just as you are and be forever changed by the love of Jesus. We want you to invite people that way. We want that to be the way you come in the door. And what kind of people do we want to be? The kind of people who have a heart for God, have a heart for each other, and have a heart for our world. I believe, I truly believe when we, we create those kind of disciples, we change our community. We change our city. Because that last one absolutely implies the idea of a heart for our world, a heart for those around us who are like us, those around us who are not like us, those who are hurting, those who, are, who, who need Jesus. They all, we have that kind of heart. So the question is this. Has someone discipled you? Now this is the way, this is the way we do it, and it's, this is the material, Okay. This is what it looks like. Mine's starting to get thicker. I'm starting to add testimonies in the back. It's getting exciting. Um, and notes and things I've added as I've discipled others. And this is, this is material to guide principles. But understand this. Discipleship is not this material. Discipleship is this organic relationship you build with someone else. Perhaps today you've never had a meaningful time of discipleship with anyone. And you're hungry for it. You would like to understand God's word better. You would like to understand his purpose for you better. You would like to not be the kind of person who says, you know, I would, I would love to do more. I just don't, I don't feel like I'm ready. That's never what Christ has called us to. So we have an, we have an opportunity for you that, can, that you can build on. And so if you're interested in that today, don't just walk out of here. Let me know. Write that down. Tell somebody. We've got what we're starting to have here are people that have been discipled and need somebody to teach. And you learn so much more when you get to teach it. And I want to provide this opportunity. I want to put those names up on that board next time we run through a series like this and go, look what, look what Christ is doing. And it's going to have a massive impact on your life. There are some of you in the room who have discipled so many people. We want to get you in on this too, to where you can begin to pour out. This opportunity is wonderful. Another thing, shameless plug, this has nothing necessarily to do with the sermon other than the fact that in a week we're about to do this Kids Fest thing. And I don't know if you all are aware of this. Um, we we kind of all do this together. We call it an all-hands-on-deck event. The reason being, there's about to be like close to 100 kids descend upon us here. And we do way too much for them. The whole room is going to explode with decorations. The Sunday after is going to be nuts in here. And we need your help. If you're not serving, this is an opportunity to disciple children. <laughs> the age group where most people come to Christ. You get an opportunity to do that. Now here's the third step, and I want to finish here. We recognize His authority. We can obey His command. And lastly, the final command He gives us, and that is we can remember 
Christ's great promise. We can remember Christ's great promise. This final imperative, behold, remember. What? What do I need to think about? This is like the greatest news of all that every morning when I get out of bed, I can do this thing he calls behold. I can put my feet down on the floor and go, you know what? God is still doing his thing in my life. He, is, he loves me so much. He saved me, but he's still operating in my day to day. He cares what I'm about to do today. I can remember this, that he is with me how often, church? Always. Always. Now that might be a discomfort to some of you who are getting into too many shenanigans in your life. He's with you there too. When you decide to do some late night strangities, he's there. And I think maybe that's what the Spirit's talking about when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, because Christ is there too. He's with you always. But it's a great comfort to you to know this, that as you engage the world, as you go about doing your daily work, as you are with your family, your friends, as you do, as you go, who's with you? Christ, always. How long? To the end of the age. The word there is aeon. That's where we get the word aeon. That, to the, the end of things. It means when things are brought to a completion. I find this fascinating because really what Christ is saying that he will always be with us. Because we know what happens at the end of this age. We are with him. I, get, I take great comfort in that, knowing that at the point of salvation, this Jesus, this God who loves me so much, he is with me now forever. I love my marriage, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love her, but she can't, she can't offer me such a, a blanket statement as Jesus can. That he will unconditionally be with me always, forever. And love me in spite of me. There's no better word. I don't know what you're facing today, but boy, that should give you great comfort. Christ offers his power. Now he promises his presence. He doesn't just say, I have all the power. I'm telling you, I have the authority and the right to tell you to do it. Not just that. I'm coming with you. That's a better news. I love it. I love that Christ tells me that because if he'd have just said, I have all the power, and if you'll come back to the well, I'll fill you back up because I know me. I'm going to forget to go back over there to the well. I'm going to start just chugging along like, oh boy, I'm shrinking. Oh, I'm in a ditch again, God. I'm going to have to get out of it and come back over here and drink from the well. No, he says, I'm bringing the well with me. Wherever you go, I am with you. That is great, great news for a guy like me who just is, can so do life on his own. And can get so in my own track and put blinders on. He says, no, I will be with you. I hope that is wonderful news today that so many of you, so many of you are working jobs. And this, this is commonplace that you have a boss. You have someone who has the authority to tell you to do the work. And they'll say, do this, do it this way. But very few of you have bosses that say, and guess what? I'm going to ride along with you. And we're going to do it together. Some of you have had bosses over the years that tell you to do some stuff. And they never show you, even show you how to do it. And you go screw it up and they get mad at you. Well, I didn't know how to do it. You told me to do it. I tried to do it. This is not our Christ. This is not our Lord. He says, I've given you a command. It might be confusing to you. You might not know all the details. Guess what? I'm coming with you. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this yet. I've experienced this. The moments where you're baffled by someone's question or you're baffled by what someone's wrestling with and something comes to your mind, a story, uh, something to say to someone that you know, I'm not that smart. I didn't think of that. Walk with the Lord. Go in, go in the power of the Holy Spirit. By His authority, 
And you will have moments in conversation, moments in your life where you know clearly God is using you in speech. You will know it. I'm confident of this. And I don't mean to sound like highly mystical or spiritual. It's just true that God is at work in your life when you trust him. Hebrews chapter 13, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always. Romans chapter 8, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. And I love what he says to Joshua. I think he would repeat it to you today, my friend. He says in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this isn't the first time God has said this. He's been saying this to his people for a long time, and trust me when I say he means it. He means it. Be strong and courageous, my friends. If you've not been meaningfully discipled before, why wait? There's no reason. If you know you've got a wealth of, of, of knowledge, you've been, in a, you've been in a part of discipling others in the past, and right now you, you're not doing so much of that, let us know. There's some of you that should be on both ends of this discipling thing, understanding that we do this by Christ's authority, by his command, and remembering his great promise. Let's continue now in prayer together, church. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. All of this, all of these wonderful commands, they come by faith. <laughs> they come first by your love to us. We were, we were a mess. We were, we were doing our own thing. We were going our own way, and you sent your son Jesus for us. You did that piece. You put the love on display. In fact, John says... We love you because you first loved us. The reason that we love you is because of what you did first. We could not have closed that gap and you did it. And God, because of that, I want to give someone the opportunity this morning. Perhaps someone has come today and they want so greatly to walk with Christ. They, they want so greatly to be done with whatever this is that troubles them, that hurts them, that they can't get over this broken spot in their life. And they know today you're, you're, you're pricking their heart today and letting them know, you know, I could be with you always. This command that I've given to my disciples, I love you, I will never forsake you. All of these things are true by faith in Christ Jesus. If that's you today, my friend, you want that. You feel the Holy Spirit pulling you in. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. There's no reason to wait another moment. Why would you wait on the greatest thing that ever happened in your life? There would be no reason for that. Pray simply with me as Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10. He says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe that as a church. It is our faith that saves us. And it is that confession of faith that we're doing now together. So friend, if that's you, say with me. Jesus, I believe today that you are Lord of my life. I believe that you saved me by the cross. You died on the cross for my sin, for my shame, my brokenness. You dealt with it. I believe that today. And God, I believe you raised Christ Jesus from the dead and that he lives today. That when Jesus said to me, I will be with you always, I believe it. 
Dear friend, if you prayed that with me just now, welcome to the family of God. And we as your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus are praying right along with you. What we pray, we should pray often, and that is, God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? We believe these truths. Help us to live them out. That, God, you have all authority. You have all power. And not only that, you are present in our goings. God, would you lead us? Take control of our mouths. The areas in which we struggle perhaps the most is maybe the things that come out of our mouth are far from gospel. There's something else. God, would you begin to mold us and make us into your image and not this mess we've been doing? God, I'm praying for those coworkers, for those family members, those, those children even of the people here, your congregation, that you would give us words to say to make disciples of all the nations, that you would give us a heart for the lost, if it is not there yet, Lord, that you would so break our hearts for them. All we'd have to do really is spend a little bit of time with the nations and our hearts would be broken. God, I pray that you would engage us in those very places. Help us to be your church on fire wherever we go, as we go, that we would make disciples, that we wouldn't shirk that, that great commission, but we would adopt it fully and say, this is, this is my best. This is what Christ wants for me above all else is that I would be his disciple making disciples. Christ, do that in us. Give us the power. Show us your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.